BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bill Press Show on this Thursday, March 15th, all day long. Bill is not here. You're stuck with me. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press today, Bill's on that book tour grind. His book comes out next week from the left. Make sure you uh, get your copy at BillPressShow.com. But he's going to be gone here and there for the next couple of weeks as he goes out and sells that book. You know how it goes. We've been through this a couple times with Bill. We know how it goes. you got to go out there. you got to push the book. So uh, he's out there doing some media and stuff for the book. So in the meantime, you are stuck with me. But don't worry. We have lots of great, great content, great, great stuff to talk about today uh, with some great, great guests, I should point out. Folks, uh, you can follow the show, of course, on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter Ogburn. For those of you that are still looking for Ray Rogers' secret hidden Twitter account, I wish you best of luck. Some people found it. Well done. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I I eventually found it, but you had to send it to okay, me. Okay, that doesn't count. No, no, no. You had to send it to me. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say I found it. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, 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 I okay. followed There's really you. nothing to see. You had like five tweets. Yeah, I do. I think that's the healthiest way to tweet, Ray. To I, have like, and how long have you had it? I thought it was like five years. I think it was closer to like eight or nine years. Let's say, let's say it was eight years. Yeah. Five tweets in eight years. It's a pretty good ratio. Pretty solid. Pretty good. Pretty solid. I wish I had a ratio like that. <laughs> uh, thank you all for tuning in. I appreciate you wherever you are. Remember, we're on Free Speech TV as well. Um, by the way, you know, this drives me nuts. Cable news is so bad these days, and it just drives me crazy. I was sitting here prepping for the show and getting my stuff together. and I see this thing uh, on CNN. Who is Donald Trump going to fire next? You know, this speculation journalism is... Drives me crazy. Yeah, it does. And also... It doesn't make them any better than Donald Trump, right? Like, Donald Trump is taking the presidency and essentially treating it as reality TV. Yes, that's my issue. I have no problem with trying to theorize or understand what is to come next. Sure. Strategy. Got it. Sure. Even then, though, by the way, I find it a little... Sure. It could be handled wrong. The way that CNN handles pretty much everything is... 
It's like professional wrestling. Borderline reality television. I mean, the constant countdowns. Yeah, no, it's a no for me. Any countdown clock, it's a no for me. But, like, they were running through the list of, here's who Donald Trump could fire next, and here's why. And, like, look, there's a legitimate story to point out that Ben Carson spent a bunch of money on furniture, and that might have pissed off Trump just purely for the optics, or that David Shulkin, you know, put together a boondoggle uh, to, to go to Europe with his wife and and chalked it up to uh, company business or Ryan Zinke spent $150,000 on a door. But to sit here and go like, well, which one of these people is Donald Trump going to fire next? Let's fire up the wheel of misfortune and see who's going to go next. Like, come on. There are way bigger news stories to talk about today. Way bigger news stories, and we're going to talk about them with ye right here on the Bill Press Show. By the way, um, huge, huge day yesterday for the kids, for the teens across America walking out of school. We're going to talk about that and what that looked like here in America yesterday. Very, very encouraging to see that the kids are, in fact, all right They're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. They're the future. It might take a little while. It might take a little while, but we're going to get there. We'll talk about that and much, much more here on the Bill Press Show with me, your host, Peter Ogburn. Stay tuned. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show. Howdy on this Thursday, March 15th. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today while Bill is out selling that book. He's got a new book called From the Left. It's a biography of sorts. All the deets are up on our Twitter account, at BP Show. He's hitting the road. He's at the road. He's going to be out there. He's coming to a town near you. Go check us out at BP Show. We've got a little running list of some of the events. And, by the way, if you want to get a little sneak preview, a little sneak peek without buying the book quite yet, check out our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash BP Show. Bill read a little excerpt out of his book yesterday. And this, I think, is a really, really interesting chapter because we've talked on this show a lot about how Bernie Sanders' uh, presidential campaign was launched in the living room of Bill and Carol Press. And Bill actually reads from his book about how that came to be and how that happened. And you can only hear it and only see it if you are a subscriber to our Patreon page. It costs you like five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. It's less than what you probably spend on coffee. It's less than a Costco membership. It is less than a cost to steal to you steal a Paul Ryan talking point. Your tax break That's money. It. Look, a lot of you guys get a nice tax break, right? Yeah. Go go buy a Patreon subscription. Cool. And we put a lot of stuff up there. By the way, we have a discussion about Black Panther uh, up there, which was very that very one was cool. so good. If you are at all interested in diversity in Hollywood representation, uh, just 
film in general yeah. is a wonderful discussion with Danielle, Danielle Cadet. Danielle Cadet from The Undefeated joined me, uh, and we just completely geeked out over how cool Black Panther is, not only as a movie, but as a cultural sort of touchstone. I don't even like comic books, and I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Oh, that's nice to yeah. hear. It so was see, a really good one. You don't even have to like comic books to go listen uh, and, and watch the the video it's up on patreon patreon.com slash bp show don't forget you can follow us on twitter at bp show i am at twitter at peter ogburn uh send us your comments all throughout the show we will try and get them in as we get them but i want to start first of all with uh a really 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 cool moment yesterday because i don't watch a ton of cable news anymore i just don't i just can't it just drives me bonkers and I had it on uh, yesterday. I just was flipping through, and I saw just mobs of students that had walked out of school yesterday. It was National Walkout Day. Students around the country just got up and left their schools to highlight a very serious point that they are being gunned down in our schools, and nobody's doing a goddamn thing about it. So, uh, you know, it's it's funny, Ray, because I have a 13-year-old child. Yes. And these were mostly high school students that walked out, but the middle schoolers were planning on doing something as well. Uh, I got several emails from the superintendent of the schools. Uh, I, I have a 10-year-old as well who's not in middle school yet. They, they didn't really ignore it. They said they're going to have some stuff right. on site. For people who wanted to join in, but I don't think any kids below middle school were actually thinking of just like walking out of school. Well, then I even really though do they think, should, I think that they should, but I do think that maybe like elementary school, middle school, they might need a little bit of a more structured walkout. I agree with that. Ten year old rolling the street, but 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 let us not forget that it was Sandy Hook nine-year-old kids Look, that were gunned down a little over five years ago. It's messed up. Okay, I want you to talk about your superintendent emails, but I think that it's messed up that these kids are being penalized more for walking out than people are for shooting them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I got a bunch of emails, and what they tried to do, which I don't necessarily disagree with. Look, I'm all for walking out. Walk out of school. Go, go Leave. Go for it. Go protest. Uh, if you're a high school student, I think I think kids today, like when you hear about kids back in the 60s, you know, that would just, you know, march on the Pentagon or march on Washington and all this stuff, like we've lost a lot of that. The kids are going to be all right, though. I'm not sure if anybody read it, but in New York Magazine, they did a huge article this month on the kids um, from Parkland that you see splashed all over television in every publication. And this is a very coordinated, purposeful yeah. campaign that okay. they are running. And it is run like a tight ship. They have specific people that are for specific media hits. They knew that they needed 20 kids yep. so that people didn't get fatigued of seeing the same people talk. And they knew that they needed to spread out the events just long enough that it would last as many news cycles as possible. Yeah. So that's why they planned something for one month. So I have to I have to pull back the curtain a little bit. I had a friend of mine who is who is a Republican who texted me yesterday and said, do you want to hear something gross? All of the kids that you see on TV, all of the Parkland kids, they have a celebrity New York PR firm. And I wrote back and I go, you know, on the scale of things that actually gross me out these days. That doesn't even register. That's not even on the list. 
But, like, look, you're right. These kids, uh, some of them were hit with unexcused absences. I got that email from uh, the superintendent that said, if you just walk out of school, you're going to be charged with an unexcused absence. And they try. Yeah, fine. That's what what I told my kid. I was like, look, whatever. (laughs) You walk out of school, you get an unexcused absence. We'll, We'll go get ice cream. Like, I don't care. Uh, but what, what I, what I do think was, was good that they tried to do is they said, look, you can also, during this time that you would be walking out, you can just leave your class and come to the cafeteria and we'll write letters to elected officials. If you don't really feel like doing that, you could go to a separate place where there'll be a moment of silence on the basketball court. And I thought that was good. I mean, they weren't—they weren't necessarily trying to discourage them. They were saying, like, you're still going to walk out of school, but if you're going to walk out, come and do this. And I think that the walkout stuff is awesome, and I think any kid that did it should be commended for it, and that's totally fine. I think that those are age-appropriate protests. But, but you have to also, I think, teach these kids that just walking out isn't enough. And and yes, to your point, like you got to teach them, like. Write a letter. Write a letter to your elected official. That 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 does something, too. Lots of ways to have your voice heard, and I think totally. it's so important to encourage the kids. And honestly, like they don't even need encouragement. Look at them. They're doing it on their own. They're amazing. Exactly. It's very, 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 very cool, and I'm so here for it. And seeing all this, these smart kids, way smarter than I was than when I was in high school. <laughs> like <laughs> I would have totally walked out. For all the wrong reasons. Well, somebody, and a lot of kids would. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were like, "It's not hard to get kids to walk out of school, but look, these kids were doing it for a reason, and they're articulate and they're eloquent, yes. and they—it's a pointed reason. It's not like these kids are just like, oh, day to play hooky." Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I was, I was very, very, very much here for it. By the way, to to contrast that great, wonderful, uplifting story. Uh, earlier this week, arm the teachers is the big push that you're hearing these days from the uh, Trump White House. Maybe not such a good idea. There were two stories about teachers and school employees who are licensed to carry guns. This just blows my mind. And their guns went off at school. Oh, well, that's, you know, they... It happens sometimes even to the most uh, experienced gun handler, right? During gun safety demos. This isn't going to be a big thing, right? This is nobody got hurt, right? Wrong! <laughs> One of the teachers who is a reserve police officer, I'm going to read directly from Vox.com, uh, a teacher who's a reserve police officer trained to use a gun accidentally discharged a firearm at Seaside High School in Montgomery County, California on Tuesday. According to the local outlet KSBW, Dennis Alexander, dumbass, Dennis, I I said that, not them, Dennis Alexander's (laughs) gun went off around 1 p.m. while he was teaching a course about gun safety. You can't make it up. He was pointing his gun at the ceiling when it went off and pieces of the ceiling hit the ground. The local police department said no one suffered serious injuries, but one 17-year-old boy was harmed when fragments from the bullet hit his neck. We have a clip from the boy. His name is Furman Gonzalez, and he talked to uh, KSBW about what happened. 
I look at my shirt like that, and there's a like blood on my shirt. And what? I, like, wipe my neck kind of, and a bullet fragment comes off my neck. Okay, all right. I'm the parent of a child who comes home from high school, and I go, oh, hey, son, uh, you have blood on your shirt. What's going on? Oh, no big deal, Dad. My teacher just shot me. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm not laughing that a student was hurt. But it's insane. It's. I mean, I'm it laughing is, at the insanity. It's insane. That this happened in an instance where it's somebody who has all the right intentions is certified, has all of the safety handling yeah. covered, and he still hurt someone. This is, I mean, look, if I was going to make the argument that teachers should be armed, right. which, which I am most certainly not going right. to do, but if I was going to make such a crazy argument, mm-hmm. I would say, okay, here's a guy, he's a reserve police officer, he's a uh, 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 he's licensed to carry this, he's clearly able to teach a course on gun safety. Now, what could go wrong? Go wrong. Go, go wrong. wrong. Go wrong. I know. As go it wrong. echoes through the universe. The father talked to the TV station. She said, quote, he's shaken up of the of the boy that, that, that was shot, 17-year-old Furman Gonzalez. Quote, he's shaken up, but he's going to be okay. I'm just pretty upset that no one told us anything, and we had to call the police ourselves to report it. <laughs> Excuse me? I'm- you had a teacher shoot a student and didn't tell the parents? <laughs> Excuse me? But kids, if you walk out of school... Unexcused you, absence. Unexcused absence. It's going on your permanent and you're record. And you're going to be suspended. It's going on your permanent record. <laughs> oh, but no big deal. We're just going to shoot you in the neck. Look, if there was any doubt, the kids are going to be all right. The adults, I don't know. I'm going to read directly from the Vox piece. In a separate incident in Alexandria, Virginia, right here. Yes, right here, not far from where I live. In Alexandria, Virginia, on Tuesday, a school resource officer, excuse me, a five-year veteran of the Alexandria Police Department accidentally discharged his weapon while inside George Washington Middle School. No one, including the officer, oh, thank God, was injured. So, what in the holy hell is happening Donald Trump and the Trump administration comes out and says the best plan to combat school violence is to arm the teachers. And then right on cue, right on cue, two teachers have their guns or two uh, school employees have their guns go off in school. One of them shoots a kid in the neck. Do you need a bigger and more clear sign that we are losing our collective minds as a country? I'm sorry. This is crazy. There's nothing that can stop a bad guy with a gun except for a good guy with a gun. And the only thing that can stop a good guy with a gun is his total and utter incompetence of how to handle (laughs) a firearm. Likewise, I'm laughing because I just am out of appropriate responses to this, I think. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy that we're having this discussion because like we said last time you and I were on the mics together, it's like. Gee, I think that the common denominator between all these school shootings is that there's a gun in school. Yeah. 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 Here's a here's a crazy idea. Crazy idea. Radical idea. How about never bring a gun onto a school campus full stop? Sounds like a good idea to me. I don't understand why we're—I truly don't understand why this is a conversation— 
Because we are drunk on guns as a nation. I know, and I just don't get it. There's some serious, like, there's just a gap, and I can't cross it, I think. I have, I, I, I you I know, try really hard to understand. I mean, look, here's what I, here's what I will say, right? Like, I, I have a fairly easy time understanding where a lot of thoughtful conservatives come from. Right, because I had that background, I was brought up in a conservative household. I think that there are real and serious arguments that you can have on the side on either side of of, sure. of whatever issue. However, ever since I was young, I never understood the gun nuts. No, okay, I even get it. Whatever, Second Amendment. You want to have guns, great. Sure. You want to go hunting, okay. You want to have an AR-15. Why? But okay. All of that aside, why can't we just agree on schools? Yeah, no guns on schools. Why is that? A... No guns on schools. No why guns is on this schools. an argument? Take uh, first of all, I, I'm I, I I I'm one of these Second Amendment uh, people that it's just like get rid of it, burn it to the ground, take all the guns, melt them down. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, I don't care if you're a hunter. I, I don't feel care. the same way. I don't take get all it. the guns. Why do I do? I don't get it. But I understand that that's. Not realistic. No. And also, there, there are some... There are some Look, I also think that it is okay for people to own a gun. I'm never going to own one. I'm never going to own one. I'll never own a gun. I have no need to own a gun. Certainly nothing like an AR. No, even if you're a hunter. I've said this no. before. You're going to go hunting... It's a weapon of war. If, you, if you're going to go hunt with an AR-15, enjoy the deer that you just turned into a fine mist with your assault rifle. It's not going to happen. But... Look, there are. Th- this is not the end of of these stories, by the way. If you think that these this is this is the end, these these uh, good quote good guys with a gun who feel like they can take their guns into school and then mishandle them and shoot shoot a student in the neck. We have a clip from the superintendent who sounds just as baffled as yeah. we do. Can we play? Can we hear it? Yeah. So this he, is from the school in California. Yes, his name is PK Diffenball. Those demonstrations should be done with a uh, demo gun made of plastic and not a real gun. Uh, uh you think? Uh, yeah. Why does there need to? <sighs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. By the way, on the uh, march yesterday, uh, I saw a couple of clips from politicians who were there, and good for them. Nancy Pelosi uh, thanked the kids for coming out and making their voices heard. Here's Nancy Pelosi. We need the help of young people like you. Thank you for your eloquence, for your courage, for your presence, and for your insistence that enough is enough. Dianne Feinstein, who I think uh, has the most credibility on the assault weapons issue for sure, she came out and talked about how these kids are leading us to action. High school students who have lost their friends are literally begging us to take action to get these guns off the streets and out of our schools. Yeah, so, and, and Bernie was there at the one in Washington, D.C. yesterday, and Bernie he got completely there. mobbed. He got completely mobbed. The kids love Bernie Sanders. That was my biggest takeaway. They love Bernie, although, I mean, Bernie's okay on guns. He comes from a hunting state. Bernie's okay on guns. He's, I think he's more right than wrong. But when you parse out his beliefs, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, but the kids love B- Bernie, and the politicians love the kids. So I'll yep. put it like, like good for them for at least getting out there. 
By the way, uh, one other story that I really have to get in here, and this really should piss you right off. If you are a Democrat and if you are one of these people that's just waiting for these midterms, you could vote more strong Democrats in so they can get rid of Trump and stop his agenda. Well, this is a real bummer because this really, really, really bums me out because the largest rollback of banking regulations since the financial crash, the financial crisis has now passed. With some Democratic support. It is a banking deregulation bill that was pushed hard by the Republican Senate Banking Committee Chair, Mike Crapo. Perfect name. Imagine going through life with the name Mike Crapo. Perfect. Oh, boy. It is a way to ease restrictions on banks. (laughs) We've been too hard on that. (laughs) Sorry? Did we need to be easier on banks these days? I'm sorry. I completely uh, I completely missed that. Um, the legislation is a dangerous rollback of the post-crisis Dodd-Frank regulations and could precipitate another financial crisis. Oh, good. Because things are just going so well right now. You know what we need is another financial crisis. Well, it's happened. It, it was uh, passed. And, Ray, as you mentioned, it got help from... Democrats. Who? Oh, we're gonna name names. Oh, we're gonna tell we're you name ex- and names. We're gonna name we're gonna tell you exactly who voted for this piece of crap. Uh, Senator Bennett from Colorado, Senator Tom Carper from Delaware, Chris Coons also from Delaware. Shout out Delaware, getting that getting that sweet, sweet bank money. Maggie Hassan, Heidi Heidkamp, Doug Jones. Break my heart. Doug Jones. Break my heart from Alabama. Uh Tim Kane. Okay. Tim Kane. Excuse me, you ran with Hillary Clinton as the vice presidential candidate feel, for the Democratic Party, and you voted for this? I feel deep, deep, deep shame. Yeah. I'm from Virginia. Yeah. I live in Virginia. Oh, oh, you know what, though? Don't worry. Your other senator, Mark Warner, voted for it, too. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah I'm, sure you, I'm sure you do. But the Tim Kaine thing is particularly egregious because, look, I'm, I'm not going to relitigate the election of 2016, but... Hillary Clinton had a real problem with how closely she was tied to the big banking industry. Just a fact. All right? Just a fact. And the vice presidential candidate came out and voted for this? No, thank you. Well, I'm not done, by the way. Senator Anus King from Maine, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Claire McCaskill, Bill Nelson from Florida, Gary Peters, Gene Shaheen, Debbie Stabenow, John Tester, I mentioned Mark Warner, that is 17, 17 Democratic senators that voted to deregulate the banks. Guess what, guys? Primaries are coming up in a lot of these states. Well, this is the thing, Ray. This is what drives me crazy. Because, look, I understand that we've got to have a strong Democratic Democrats in the Senate that are going to be they have to stop Trump's agenda. Okay, that's got to happen. And I understand that, like with Connor Lamb, we talked about this. Connor Lamb, who's being pegged as a conservative Democrat, which is true in some places, not so true in others. But like for the most part, he's a fairly conservative Democrat. Uh, and you have to have some of those guys. On certain issues, right? Like if you're a Democrat and you're right on 99% of the issues, but you say, uh, you know what? 
I just, as a Christian, I don't believe in abortion, but I wouldn't vote to outlaw it for anybody else. Like, Sure, Tim Kaine, actually. That's one thing that he gets right. I can live with that. I don't love it. I don't love it either, but, but Tim I can Kaine live with it. is a good example of how you can have your own personal religious beliefs. Sure. Catholic. And not impose, and not on impose other it people. on other people. I think that there's room for that in the Democratic Party. Oh, absolutely. I totally think that they should, that Democrats that run that way should not be shunned or whatever. Now, that's one issue. Deregulation of the banks? That should be part of who the Democrats are. Yes. This is a core issue. If there's ever something that's a litmus test worthy thing. Yeah. Although, okay, yes. Yes. We, di- we disagree on the uh, abortion stance, by the way. I think that's a litmus test worthy thing. Well, I mean, but- look, if you, if you were a Democrat and you said, by the way, I don't agree with abortion and I'm going to do everything in my power to stop people from getting abortions, that would be a real problem. No, for me. I agree. For that Tim would be a real Kane, problem for me. Tim Kaine is not an issue for me because, like I said, he has actually a very good voting record on yeah. Women's health. Issues. And I can live with that. Yes. I don't love it. But I, I don't love it, that. but I can live with it. But deregulating banks, that's just a core issue that we should all be able to see eye to eye on and this, as by Democrats. The way, and this, by the way, if you go back and you look at Franklin Delano Roosevelt and what yep. he said about the banks and how essentially we're coming for you, MFers, yep. and we're going to come after you and for everything that you've done to the people here in America, we're going we're gonna to come get it back. We're going to come get it back from you. And if you got to go to jail for it, fine. Look, if there's one banner issue that sort of permeates all of Trump's time in office, it's this idea of corporate and personal greed. Yes. And that is exactly what these Democrats clearly stood for yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Look, I I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're getting too much money from Wall Street or they like they have too many friends that work in Wall Street, or they're going to preserve that Cush speaking gig for after they're out of office. But 17 gutless Democrats. Spineless. And Although- by the way, you, these, these, these uh, Democrats in red states, right, which a lot of them are, right? You look at Joe Manchin or Claire McCaskill or John Tester, all these people that are gonna, that are facing serious uh, 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 elections later on this year, they can go to their constituents and say that they, they voted to uphold their best interests. Not the bank's, but their constituents' best interests. What in the world Look, are also, we doing? I'm going to call it, Virginia is pretty blue these days. Yeah. And I know that there are red parts of Virginia and whatever, but, like, Virginia is not so much a purple state. It's really, really leaning towards blue. It's leaning blue. It's leaning blue. And you've got both of them voting for this. This is what, I, this is what I've been saying for a long, long time. Centrism, centrist Democrats are a scourge. And they're yeah. going to ruin the party. We should run them out of the run them out of office. I don't care if any of these people, any of these people that voted for this, if they had a real serious progressive challenger. Vote for them, because these centrist Democrats aren't going to save you. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. This has been your anger power half hour with okay. Peter Ogburn. Okay, where's my <laughs> blood pressure medication? <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Nothing could go wrong. Everything is happy. Everything's happy.
Everything's fine. Let's talk about some happy, uplifting topics like how like open graft and corruption inside the Trump administration. We have two uh, really, really good guests that are going to talk about that. Our friend uh, from Every Voice, Adam Smith, is going to join us here in the next segment along with reporter from Think Progress, Rebecca Intralgo. Both of them will be in studio to talk about just how bad things are with the open graft and corruption and the Trump administration. Very quick break, y'all. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 35 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. Today, Bill is out pushing his book, From the Left, is the name of his new book. It comes out next week. You can pre-order a copy at our website, BillPressShow.com. And if you're on the fence, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? We actually put a video up of Bill reading an excerpt from his book. It's on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash bpshow. It's all about how he helped launch the Bernie Sanders campaign for president in his living room. Tells the whole story about it. Uh, reads right from his book, From the Left. Just go sign up for our Patreon, and you can be uh, one of the very few people with the exclusive uh, views of that video. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash BP show. We're also on Twitter, of course, at BP show at BP show. A uh, couple of comments I'll read really quickly uh, from Phil. I'm not worried as much about the legislative agenda as I am with the judges. Yes, that's true. We should all be very, very concerned about the judges. We talked about some of the judges with uh, Jen Bendery from the uh, Puffington host yesterday. Uh, KG says, I'll give them a pass on the banking bill. They need campaign money, sad to say. You know, you know what? That's a bad take. <laughs> uh, that, that is that's a the worst take. take. That's really... I think you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, KG, I appreciate your, your viewership and watching the show and uh, always love to read your tweets, but rethink that one. Okay. I am joined now by uh, some friends who are going to help me through this next half hour. Uh, director at Every Voice, Adam Smith, is in studio. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at asmith83. How you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me, Peter. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Yeah. And reporter from Think Progress, first time on the show? It's first time on the show. First yeah. time on the show. Yeah. All right. It's exciting. Uh, <laughs> it's Rebecca exciting. Intralgo, she is in studio with us. You can follow her on Twitter at Rebecca Intralgo. That's Rebecca with a K. Rebecca with a K. Rebecca with a K. All right. So um, last night as I was going through what I wanted to talk about on the program today, uh, I came across your very, very, very good story. Thank you. The extravagant spending of Trump's champagne cabinet. Yep. And... I just kind of wanted to both of you because we talk about corruption and and how rampant it is in the Trump administration. I, I just kind of want to go down some of the things that that you mentioned. Um, let's start first of all <laughs> with Scott Pruitt, the yep. EPA administrator. A forty three thousand dollar phone booth. Yep. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I thought phone booths were dead. First of all, I mean, uh, I get soundproof. it. I, it's a soundproof. soundproof yeah. Engine. I get it. I used to be really shy in the office taking phone calls and I didn't want like anyone to hear me. Like when I first started working in journalism, I would take all my calls outside and I was like, I don't want anyone to hear me. And yeah. so I get it. Maybe, maybe Scott Pruitt's just a little phone shy. I'm the uh, same way <laughs> in, the, in the sense that like everywhere I go, I'm just the loudest person in the room. Yeah. And so they've shoved me into this soundproof room. Yeah. 
Every time I hear his about his soundproof booth, booth, I think of that uh, that Get Smart show from like the '60s, where the cone of silence yeah, would come the down cone over of them, yeah. and I expect it to be something like that. I feel like a cone of silence would be like cheaper. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, probably, you're, you're right. probably cheaper than yeah. installing a yeah. soundproof. Room. They had to lay down the concrete. They had different contractors for like everything. Like yeah. they had a different group to lay down the concrete, a different group to like demolish this closet door that it was going to go in. Like it was, it it's was like a two whole feet thing. concrete walls. I, th- I, mm-hmm. I think is what it said. It's like come on, what? And yeah. he can't be that loud because if you've seen him talk he's like very like quiet southern man he's just i don't yeah. I, I don't and, and what sort of deals is he agreeing to like oil companies <laughs> with that he needs to like be that's soundproof also, about yeah. very true no that's a good point yeah i want to read directly from your piece <clears throat> the agency paid a firm seven thousand nine hundred seventy dollars to remove a closet a closed circuit television equipment yep okay $8,000 to remove television equipment to make room while another contractor was hired to pour 55 square feet of concrete more than two feet thick. <laughs> a drop ceiling was constructed for $3,361 by another set of workers while others patched and painted the small area for $3,350. In sum, the EPA shelled out 43 gur so that Pruitt could take private calls with the White House in peace. Yep. Mm. Now, I really want to know what those phone calls are like. I do, too. Like, well, I think we've seen from his actions what they are, right? That's it's like true. giving these corporate special interest energy companies everything they want. Yeah. I mean, like, it, 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 I can't keep doing this. And I would think that after over a year, I would have stopped doing it. But I just think to myself, what if Barack Obama's head of the EPA did something like this? Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. what would the reaction be? And, like, frankly, the Pruitt story is getting less press than some yeah. of the other ones because it's not as bad as the others yeah yeah the other one i i think i forgot to mention it in the piece is uh the va secretary david shulkin yeah. like f- like doctored an email from his aide being like i'm receiving an uh a gift from the danish uh government so like my wife and i can go take like a european and go like, to wimbledon yeah oh yeah yeah so yeah to wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try that out. I was gonna say how that works. We should get try that out with your boss. Yeah, see we'll how see. that works. We'll see if that, uh, yeah, dear Bill Press, I am receiving an award from the Human Fund. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and what stuck out to me was the Ben Carson story oh, yeah. because you know there was this story about Beautiful. how Ben Carson, the HUD, spent thirty one thousand dollars on a dining room set. They sort of Carson got sort of very like uh, righteous about. I did yeah. not know this. Mm-hmm. I didn't do this. Blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And then we well, learned this week. There were emails saying, oh, we gave pictures of this order to Mr. and Mrs. Carson, which the Carson family's role in this also raises ethics questions. Yeah. And so it was clear that people were lying about it. And also this is something that got lost in, I think, it's very minor detail that I picked up. I think it was either in the CNN or the New York Times story that uh, in the emails, they also revealed that Ben Carson uh, asked, I think, one of his aides whether he can like commission a portrait of himself yes. for the office, and his lawyer was like, "That'll cost twenty five thousand dollars," and like none of his predece- predecessors have like portraits of himself in his office, and it's just like he's like, "Is this? Can I use? Oh, using HUD funds? Like, I totally I use- <laughs> missed this. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's just way funnier than the dining set." Because it's almost cost as much. Well, as- we also know that Ben Carson has maybe the greatest portrait of oh, all time in his house. Sure. Yeah, just put it in. Yeah, that Jesus portrait. Just take right? the one of him yeah. and Jesus. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you can't improve on that. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can't top it. You can't be that. <laughs> when you have a portrait commissioned of yourself with Jesus Harold Christ mm-hmm. over your shoulder, <laughs> you cannot improve on that. Nope. Uh, you know, I thought what your uh, Rebecca, your article was so 
was so good because you also mentioned all the cuts yeah. they're making these departments. And mm-hmm. I think that's the real story here mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. And I think really where where the public is started, the public will accept a certain amount of corruption, but I don't know how much they'll <laughs> yeah. accept if you're hurting people. Yeah. I, I hate to stop, I hate to stop you on that yeah. on that comment, but it's so it's true. true. It's yeah. true. It's yeah. so true. We'll put up with this. I work on corruption issues. I recognize yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's talk about some of those cuts because yeah. that I think is the is one of the things, especially in Ben Carson's case, yeah. that got him in so much trouble. Yeah. So what are we looking at there with with the cuts to HUD? I mean, HUD is like they're just <laughs> they're just in shambles right now. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, you know, there people are like affordable housing, especially with the tax cut bill. There was like um, with the private activity bonds. Do you know what I'm talking about? The tax bill. They just eliminated these like uh, funds that would help. Uh, affordable housing mm-hmm. uh, and it was just or I think it maintained the tax bill either way HUD is like severely the in cu- trouble yeah cutting affordable housing programs yeah. you know the interior department Ryan Zinke is taking all these private flights he has like oh we'll get to him and, and, <laughs> but he's then cutting park fees yeah. right it's just like wild to me yeah, yeah. It, that's or the thing. Increasing it's like, park fees. None of it really makes sense. Yeah, that that's the thing that I that's so baffling to me. And it it's concerning how quickly people will defend it yeah. or dismiss it and yeah. say, "Oh, this is what the government does all the time." Yeah. I mean, there was again, Barack Obama wasn't my favorite president or anything like that, but like Barack Obama ran a tight ship, mm-hmm. and if any of his people got out of line, any of his cabinet members got out of line yeah. in this way. It would be dealt with. Yeah. And I don't remember any any stories like this. Yeah. Nothing even came close in the eight yeah. years of Barack Obama yeah. being yeah. president. There are like a couple little hatchback stories, sure. you know, things like that, but nothing big like this. And I think that what you mentioned is Obama, and I think that is the key point here, is leadership comes from the top. Yeah. And Obama set a standard for what an ethical government should look like. And Trump did not. From day one, Trump has said ethics don't matter, rules don't matter, norms don't matter. Wait, wait, wait. I have to he said, "Drain the swamp, Adam." Yeah, are you not right. listening? Yeah, no, yeah. I know. Yeah. This is clear. Yeah. But I think, I think the the corruption <laughs> yeah. began like the minute he placed, you know, the Trump organization in a blind trust of his two sons. I think that for me was like, yeah. okay, this is we expect the absolute. It was worst. a blind trust with a great opt, uh, optician. Mm-hmm. You know? we, we've talked we've talked to you a lot about yeah. the whole blind trust. Where are we with that now? <laughs> Because uh, it was like people cared a yeah, lot about yeah, it, then it was yeah. like, oh god, everything else you is know, going yeah. to hell. We're a couple play. I mean, the the Mike Pence was at Trump's DC hotel yeah. last night holding a fundraiser for his brother. Right, like they're <laughs> still spending hundreds of thousands of dollars at Trump properties. I I will say, um, you know, these the I think one of the the state emoluments challenge, the one from the state of Maryland and DC, they have updated it recently. That's that's still going through the motions, mm-hmm. um, and that's just the court process is slow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the other stories you write about in your piece at Think Progress, thinkprogress.org, uh, the Interior Secretary, yes. Ryan Zinke. Yeah. Who, I don't know what his deal is. Uh, my favorite profile of Zinke was in, um, I think it was Outside Magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they basically just make the argument that this guy is about as dumb as a box of boxes. Yeah, I mean, he, since he, like, showed up to work riding that horse for the first yeah. day, like, I'm like, Hell all yeah. right, this set the precedent where Hell I was yeah. like, I really don't know what to expect from you. Like, I, I, I don't understand. He also just has that look on his face yeah. constantly, mm-hmm. like, the way that, like, a parakeet would look at a ringing telephone, yeah. just mm-hmm. yeah. confused mm-hmm. and bewildered. And I, and- I feel like he was still on fighting from the Senate the other day because he got <laughs> yeah, he so, so like 
defensive. And, like, defensive about it. He's like, no, they were prop planes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Those private planes were not did not have jets. They had propellers. Uh, okay, so his his scandal is the $139,000, $139,000 door. Yep. It is uh, construction for the agency. I'll read it directly from your piece again from thinkprogress.org. Construction for the agency labeled, quote, Secretary's Door. According to the report, Ryan Zinke was not aware of the contract, but when the Newswire called the agency to comment on the expense, a man answering, answering phones hung up on the reporter. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, so how do you get a door that costs $139,000? I was talking with my dad. My dad uh, is uh, very conservative and loves to um, read my articles and play devil's advocate with me. Um, and he was like, well, you know, it's a, probably a historic building. There are probably certain things they have to do with the door that they can't respect, like certain beams maybe, which may be true. And I, I, I bet like the seal probably costs a fair amount of money. But $139,000, like if constructing a, a soundproof booth only costs like $43,000, right, that's, what, that's what I don't understand. <laughs> like they had to pour concrete yeah. two feet thick for the soundproof yeah. booth. And that yeah. was a fraction of what a mm-hmm. door cost. Yeah. I've done construction in my life. My dad ran. <laughs> a contracting company was when I was younger. Okay, like I know how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. $139,000 yeah. for a door? Yeah. I think it's two sets of doors. It was, yeah. It's like double doors. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's say $70,000 per set of door. Yeah. Yeah. Still a little steep. Mm-hmm. Yes. So at what point do, and by the way, Zinky as you point out in, in in your piece, he has commissioned commemorative coins with his name on them to give yep. to visitors. Yep. Is that the Something co- that's happened before? The coins are normal, I've been told, but personalized coins with uh, your name on it are not normal. Yeah. You reminded me of my favorite Zinke story was the flag. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. That like, costs money. That costs money. Yeah. Well, you're going to have somebody that's in charge of that. Yeah. Like someone to monitor when he's there and when he's not there and then to go and run. So the, the story is when he's there, the flag goes up on top of the Interior Department's headquarters and... When he's not, they take it down. I just like what kind of Does weird care that much? imperial <laughs> weird stuff is that? It's so straight. His ego must it's be an just ego thing. Yeah. like reach to the top of that flagpole. Yeah. Oh god! And then the trips that he's taken. Mm-hmm. Um, as you point out, one trip he took from Las Vegas to Kalispell, Montana, cost taxpayers twelve thousand three hundred seventy-five dollars, and he defended it by saying. Well, I couldn't have made my meeting, my very, very important meeting, yep. with the new Las Vegas professional hockey team, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if I didn't do that. Yeah. So, I, I guess, at what point does this become too much for them? Because I, before the show, I was watching CNN, and they were doing this, who's going to get fired next out of the Trump administration, which is a little grotesque, but yes. uh, it's not for me. But, but, like, they were spelling out all these people that have these scandals. Yeah. yeah. And so at what point is this going to catch up with them? I think if it hasn't at this point, I don't think it will. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, no. I, I really don't know. I'd say, for me, it also contributes just to the general chaos of the administration and their inability to get certain things done, but also feeds to the public. Like, if there's any, like, public opinion about this administration and whether they're getting stuff done, they sort of seeing these stories will get in the way of that. Um, but what really stuck out to me was the White House getting so mad about it. Yeah. And, yeah. like, leaking all these quotes and, like, that they had members of the cabinet into the White House for, like, like 
like ethics trainings and it's like y'all you are throwing bricks from gold-plated glass houses you know you the administration i mean how many people like kellyanne conway senior advisor kellyanne conway you know their social media director dan scavino uh, steve manukin they've all violated ethics or hatch act rules and face absolutely no punishment so they have no i mean they're setting the standard i love that after kellyanne conway they found that she had violated the hatch act by going out yeah again 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 (laughs) one of the trump Trump uh, advisors, I think one of his religious advisors, which, mm-hmm. come on. Oh, yeah. Religious advisor guy, yeah. for Donald Trump. He put out, he goes, oh, I now hear that Kellyanne Conway is going on double secret probation, which is just like laughing in the face mm-hmm. of the charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They don't care. Yeah. Who yeah. cares about ethical governance? Care. Who cares? Yeah. They don't care. It's all a joke. Even a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I was, I'm, I'm relatively new to journalism, and my first job was being a temp at NPR's business desk for their conflicts of interest coverage, and I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to put these people like in their place, and like I would see all these ethics violations, and I was like, excuse me, sir, you are violating (laughs) blah, 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 and like now I'm just like, whatever. Like Now I'm just like, this happens so regularly. That's so so sweet, but it's also kind of heartbreaking. Also, what happens when when you say, oh, businessmen in government will do what government needs, but businessmen in government don't always have accountability and yeah. don't have to follow the rules. 100%. So here you are, people saying, oh, I don't have to be accountable to people. And you absolutely do. That's the whole thing of government is you're elected to represent people. Well, it's, it's funny because like we're seeing a little bit more, I think, uh, of a shift, especially, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to switch topics too much, yeah. but especially to the Parkland students mm-hmm. who are saying like, no, 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 no. You guys work for us. Yeah. yeah. And I think I'm seeing more and more of that, which is really, really heartening. Yeah. yeah. Uh because these guys aren't rock stars. These the 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 these politicians aren't, you know, to be exalted and and to be worshiped. Like the, they should get every amount of grief that we they they deserve every amount of grief Absolutely. that we give them. Yeah. And you mentioned the god Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> uh we haven't gotten there yet, but this was the this was another piece of your story. Yep. He has spent by the way, this is this is a short period of time between oh, March yeah. March 2017 and October of 2017. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, chartered seven military aircraft flights that cost more than eight hundred thousand dollars. That's close to Tom Price's million. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, yeah. and that got him run out of office. Yeah. And like yeah. Steve Mnuchin, he's mm-hmm. still around. Yeah. And then you got his wife, who's hashtag Gucci. Amazing. Hashtag Ugh. whatever else she was wearing. I like, when I was writing this last night, I forgot about her Instagram response to the woman. And oh, she yeah. <laughs> was just like the best thing ever. She was like, um, excuse me, uh, <laughs> my life is my life. And I work hard. And my husband works hard. And it's like, shut up. There was this, like, I don't know, it was Vanity Fair or Vogue or somebody recently did another profile of her. And Ugh. it is Wild. It's. I mean, the thing is, I, I go back to this. They don't know what working in government is like, no. so they think they can get away with this stuff, and they don't have to be responsible for it. Right. Yeah. I mean, if if you could draw up two caricatures of like swamp goblins that mm-hmm. are just eating up as much money as they can, that's not theirs. Yeah. It's Manukin and his wife. Oh, yeah. absolutely. The picture of them at like the treasury or like the mint with like all the money. Oh, Don't but... forget that she was wearing like elbow length oh, gloves yeah. they like they while holding it. up that sheet of cash. <laughs> yeah. Who among us? Yeah. yeah. Don't have elbow length leather gloves. Yeah. 
to where when to we're holding money. large sheets of money. <laughs> yeah. uh, we didn't know this AP photo reporter would make this pub- this photo public. Right. Oh, we yeah. didn't. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's like the great. That's like like I, my kids will sometimes they'll say something really like nasty or negative right under their breath mm-hmm. sometimes and I go hey I heard that they're like oh I didn't know you were going to hear that well that's not the point <laughs> yeah that's not the point yeah behaving as. Literal children. Okay, so literally behaving as children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of bad news. We've covered a lot of bad news. Let's talk about some good news. I love to. Did you bring us some good news? <laughs> I did. I did. I, I need did. Good news. Yeah, I've had nothing please. but bad news like all morning. Tell so, us some good news. I think the last time I was here, I might have talked about Seattle's exciting like democracy vouchers public financing program. Well, this week. Um, uh, Mayor Bowser in, here in D.C. signed into law the D.C. Fair Elections Act, which will create for city elections a small donor public financing program. So candidates who uh, sh- are able to show broad grassroots support, collect a lot of small donations, will receive a grant to help fund their campaign and have those small donations matched on a five-to-one basis. So say you're a teacher and you give $25. That turns into, let me do my math, like $150. Yeah. And so, you know, in a city like D.C. where developers and the restaurant industry and others have such a big sway, this is going to allow more people to run and win office. And it's really exciting because uh, D.C. is a big city. Yeah. That's exciting to add. And Mayor Bowser was opposed to it. Yeah. We, when we talked about it before, yeah. we weren't sure that this was actually going to become a thing. So she has been opposed to it. That why, The council passed this bill unanimously back in January. This has been a sort of a years-long campaign, lots of grassroots support, like activism. And then when she announced the other day that she was going to sign it, we were all sort of surprised. And she said it was because of the – she had heard from D.C. residents. She said, I have heard from D.C. residents who came to community forums, came to my budget workshops, and I am moved by their passion, and that's why I'm going to support it. And that was all, almost just as exciting as her signing it as her giving the grassroots D.C. residents uh, the credit for it. She's also – Facing re-election, so that uh, could have something to do with it. Totally, I listen. <laughs> I'm here. Whatever it takes. Yeah, like, I, yeah. Whatever 100%. combination it takes to pass yeah, a bill like that's this. True. And so it's and the you know thing is it's not just DC. Like right outside DC, Montgomery County, they actually are using a public finance system for the first time this cycle. They have this. A uh, huge increase in candidates, people running because they can run without having access to wealth or wealthy politicians. These people mm-hmm. are going out collecting hundreds of small contributions and having them match. And it's just like changing the way elections work in Montgomery County. And I'm really excited and hope that it'll happen the same way in D.C. It's just so. Uh, I mean, it's just take it to a national level, right? Like Bill has talked before. He's like. Jimmy Carter was the last sort of like every man yeah. Yeah. to to run and win the presidency. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that we could see that ever again. Yeah. Yeah. But that's I mean, I states, localities, laboratories, of democracy. We're seeing uh this Montgomery County, DC, you know. Portland last year, uh, Berkeley, California, all these cities, localities are moving on these public financing policies. But even like on Tuesday night in Tempe, Arizona, 91% of Tempe voters supported a transparency ballot initiative. Wow. How many ballot initiatives get 91%? Seriously, man. And so I do think the thing is when people have the opportunity to vote on like money and politics initiatives, things like this, they will do it Mm -hmm. and they will support it. And so I think it's really exciting. Um, You know, we're seeing all this sort of resistance, grassroots stuff for the federal level, but like people coming together at the local level and moving this stuff for actual policies that can uh, open up the system and add some balance to it, I think is really exciting. Yeah, totally. Um, 
I like the good news. Yeah. yeah I like the good news. Much needed. Much more yeah, fun. I needed that this morning. I totally needed that this yeah. morning. Uh, Adam Smith from Every Voice, thank you so, so much yeah. for joining us. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at asmith83 uh, and checking out their good work at everyvoice.org and reporter from Think Progress, Rebecca Intralgo. Follow her on Twitter at Rebecca Intralgo and read her fine, fine work at uh, thinkprogress.org. We're going to tweet a link to your piece so that you can just see just how egregious the overspending <laughs> is. Um, it, it, really quick, we got about like thirty seconds left. It, it, does anybody is anybody going to be brought down by this? Um, just a prediction. I hope it's Ben Carson, yeah. but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Any predictions? Uh, no. I they don't all know. survive. <laughs> My prediction is the correct answer is they all survive. Yeah. Oh yeah. But they I hope survive. it's Ben Carson if it's someone. Same. <laughs> Same. Uh, thank you all. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna take a very, very, very quick break. Elena Schneider from Politico will be joining us here in just a couple moments. She is recently back from Pennsylvania. Was covering the big Connor Lamb election. We'll talk about that next. Stay tuned. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. We're going to be talking about the big win in Pennsylvania for Democrats, Connor Lamb. Uh, looks like he's going to be the new congressman from that area. We'll be talking to Elena Schneider from Politico, campaign reporter. She'll be in studio here in just a couple of moments. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to get our podcast and watch the show at youtube.com slash the bill press show and make sure you follow us, subscribe there at youtube.com. We also have a poll going on there. We have a poll going on. We do. Oh, very nice. About whether or not constituents will care about this bank deregulation. Oh God. Um, So you can weigh in. They'd better. Okay, so uh, we got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. Ray, I, 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 I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this story or not, but I think we should talk about it. I just want to lay this out. You probably saw this story. There was a woman and her daughter, and they were flying from Houston to New York, and they had a baby with them, and they had a 10-month-old French bulldog with them. And a little bag that you have to carry your sure. your pets in. I've never flown with a pet because my pets are gigantic. My dogs are gigantic. But lots of people do. Sure. No, no, no. T- yeah. Totally. But my understanding is if you fly with that pet, there's a little bag that you put yeah. them in that's mesh and they so obviously could breathe or whatever. You can see them through the bag. You can see them. So this family got on the flight. You're supposed to put the dog on the floor underneath the seat. Right. Just like any other carry-on um, except... The one that you put under the seat. Okay, so a flight attendant on United Airlines told this family they had to take this dog and put it in the overhead bin. 
which seems like a bad idea. I would say so. So the family wasn't sure about it. They said, no, I don't think we should. The flight attendant insisted that they do that. So then they put the dog in the overhead bin. The dog is barking during the part of the flight. When they land, they open up the overhead bin. They go to get their dog out. And sadly, the dog died. It's a sick story. It's disgusting. But who do you... Okay, the flight attendant also said that there's no way that she would ever have told them to put it in the overhead compartment if she had known that it were a dog. She thought that it was just like a briefcase type thing. I've seen people flying with dogs. Me too. You would think that as... It's pretty clear that they're flying with dogs. It's also pretty clear when it's barking and whining and crying. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the the uh, flight attendant that said, oh, no, I never told them to do that. Or no, the, the, the flight attendant's response was, I thought that it was a carry-on bag. I didn't realize it was a dog. Here's a hot take, though. <laughs> when does it become the family's responsibility to say, this is outrageous. Like, I need to talk to somebody higher than a flight attendant. Okay. Controversial, possibly hot take. I don't blame the family necessarily. But if I had a dog of that size and a flight attendant said, no, 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 put it in the overhead bin, I would say, you're out of your mind. Same. I'm leaving this plane. Same. And we'll sort this out. But I'm not going to put my dog, my beloved pet, in the overhead bin. For a three-hour flight. For a three-hour flight. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to comply. It's like that same story that you read for Full Court Press a couple of weeks ago about Spirit Airlines and the woman who the said hamster. they made her flush her pet hamster down the toilet okay. and she complied. Okay. Not to, not to pick apart your words, but they you said... They made her flush her hamster down the toilet. No, exactly. You're they right. They didn't they make s- her flush the hamster down the toilet. They suggested that she did if she wanted to board the flight. If and I she had a pet it. that I loved and someone suggested to me, here's what you should do. You should put it in a toilet and you should flush it and it should violently drown. And then you can get on your flight. I'd say you're out of your mind. I'd say, no, I don't think I'll be doing that today. I'd like to speak to your supervisor. So like United Airlines, not a good look. But... Let's take a little responsibility here, folks. You should know that that's a bad, bad, bad idea. All right, I don't, I don't want to beat up on them, but like, come on, come on. On your radio, on TV. And online, this is the Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you for tuning in. What a weird, wacky, wild news day we are uh, faced with today. Um, just, to, just to recap, uh, yesterday was a big walkout for schools all around the country to highlight the uh, epidemic of gun violence that we have here in this country. Um these kids are a lot smarter than a lot of the elected officials that we have, so God bless them. And if you were one of the kids that walked out or you were the parent of one of the kids that walked out, uh, congratulations. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. Uh, remember, we are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. 
Uh, and I am at Twitter, at Peter Ogburn, at Peter Ogburn. Remember, we are on uh, YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and on Free Speech TV. But if that's not enough for you, if you want to get a little bit more, if you want to get involved, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Bill, or excuse me, patreon.com slash BP Show, patreon.com slash BP Show. Uh, Bill, we put up a video yesterday of Bill reading an excerpt from his new book, From the Left, which is an autobiography of sorts. He talks about sort of his political awakening and how we got into TV and radio and all the way up to the excerpt that he read uh, on Patreon, which is about how he helped launch the Bernie Sanders campaign for president. True story. Uh, Bernie came to him and asked him for some advice. Bill gave him some advice and helped put together this whole big meeting that happened in his living room, uh, in the living room of uh, uh, Bill and Carol Press. With a lot of Democratic strategists. And so uh, Bill reads a little bit from his book, From the Left, on our new video. It's up on Patreon.com, Patreon.com slash BP Show. Uh, we also talked about the uh, deregulation bill for the uh, banks, which 17 Democrats got involved to make sure that happened, which was a pretty grotesque move on their part. We're going to be tweeting out a list of all of the 17 Democrats who voted for that bill, just in case you missed it. It's Bennett from Colorado, Carper, Coons, Donnelly, Hassan, Heitkamp, Doug Jones, Tim Kaine, Anus Kang, Joe Manchin, Claire McCaskill. God, it's, it's like it's an exhaustive list. Bill Nelson, Gary Peters, Gene Shaheen, uh, Debbie Stabenow, John Tester, and Mark Warner. All of those Democrats voted to deregulate the banks even further. Uh, if you want to go let them know how you feel about it, uh, go check out uh, the list of all the senators uh, that voted for it. We are tweeting that out at BP Show. Okay, so on top of all the other big news, it looks like we have a new congressperson from Pennsylvania, and it's Connor Lamb. Possibly. Elena Schneider, campaign reporter for Politico, joins us in studio. Is this over and done with, or what's the deal? So it's not quite over and done with okay. yet. At okay. this point, we are still, we're still, first of all, we're expecting a recount. Yes. Republicans are preparing for it. They have a couple of complaints. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know the, the chances of those actually moving forward, but they are going to at least contest it. My understanding is in Pennsylvania, there's not an automatic recount. It right. has to be requested. It's a matter of like 600 and change votes. Right, exactly. It's just, I think it was 677 and then went down a couple. And anyway, so it's right around, it's just north of 600 votes. Yeah. And at this point, it seems pretty unlikely based on the provisional ballots that are still out there, military ballots that are still out there, that anything is going to change, at least in the margin wise. So whether or not there's actually going to be a successful legal challenge to that is obviously still up in the air, but it seems likely that we will have a new congressman. Now, if the the, the Republican-controlled House can choose not to seat him if they decide that the election is not legitimate, uh, but that's a little bit of an archaic... Uh, I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't realized that was a thing. Because, I mean, look, if it's, if it's a 600-vote election, mm-hmm. I would anticipate that they would have a recount, right? Right. So that's going to take some time. What's the timeline on that? Do you know? 
Well, so it's not totally clear yet because we're still sort of waiting for responses from the counties as to how they're going to respond to, uh, you know, impounding votes. As far as I know, they still haven't actually impounded those votes. Okay. Um, that might have changed as of, you know, 9 a.m. this morning once we get there. But um, so it's going to probably be several weeks. But the irony of all of this is that March 20th is the filing deadline for Pennsylvania for the new maps. <laughs> so all so Rick Saccone may, you know, still be contesting this loss in Pennsylvania special election while he's simultaneously also registering to, you know, filing to run for Pennsylvania's 14th district, which is uh, some of the 18th, but not all of the 18th. Connor Lamb's in the same situation and we're expecting him to run, you know, he has to run somewhere else. Sure, sure, sure. God, it's so wacky. Mm -hmm. But let's just, let's, let's just get right down to it. Um, This was Trump country. Mm -hmm. This is a, a, a district that Donald Trump won. Uh, overwhelmingly. Right. And it hasn't been called for Connor Lamb, but it, it's looking like Connor Lamb at this point. So right. we're going to go with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, how did he do it? How did he, at le- if he, even if he doesn't win, right? Like, let's just put that out there. But how did he make it this competitive? I think everything had to go right in a lot yeah. of ways. This is a Trump won this district by almost 20 points. And that is a huge hole for any Democrat to try and claw their way out from. Uh, To start with, back in December, I wrote a story about Pennsylvania Republicans freaking out that Rick Saccone was their candidate. That has spread now to national Republicans, and there's been a lot of coverage about the frustrations about his inability to fundraise. But that was something that came up back in before Christmas, I wrote the story, um, about these concerns about, you know, that not only was he going to be a problematic fundraiser, but he was sort of, I think one person described him to me as like a wacky guy who was like bound to say things that would, you know, maybe make people uncomfortable. He, you know, openly says he was Trump before Trump. You know, even in the closing days of this race, I think the night before on election eve, he said that. You know, anyone who supports Connor Lamb hates God, country, and our president. Yeah. Something to the effect. I'm not, you know, directly quoting here. But, you know, it, it goes to the concerns that he was a very conservative guy who was going to be... Um, you know, aggressive and maybe in a way that would actually turn people off. So it was a combination of you've got a candidate in Rick Saccone who is uh, very intense mm-hmm. and but is not a particularly compelling <laughs> intensity, sure. even as he tries to be like Trump. Coupled in the fact that he can't fundraise, so he can't go up on the air by himself. He had to totally rely on national Republicans to do that for him. Coupled with a candidate that Republicans constantly talked about how attractive Connor Lamb was. Sure. That he was satisfactorial casting. You know, he's a Marine. He's a JAG officer. He's a former federal prosecutor. He's only 33. And he's somebody who's very well-spoken. Yeah. He looks like somebody that all these moms in West, southwestern Pennsylvania would like their daughters to bring home to them. Sure. And and it's just a very good guy. Who did, has, you see the, did you see the picture of him going to the polls with his grandmother? With his grandmother, yeah. Oh, that was so sweet. Yeah. That yeah. was so sweet. So, I mean, so those two things made this possible. And the way, and I don't want to diminish, though, the way that Connor Lamb ran this race because he ran it about as flawlessly as one can run a race. Yeah. That's the impression that I got. But I want to ask you, Ray, I want to play that clip of um, of of Paul Ryan. Uh, Ray, do you have that the, the second clip of Paul Ryan? Because Republicans ran around yesterday scrambling and saying, right. like, oh, this he's, a, he's essentially a conservative. Here's Paul Ryan. The candidate that's going to win this race is the candidate that ran as a pro-life, pro-gun, anti-Nancy Pelosi conservative. Okay, so there is this whole narrative that's coming out now that he's essentially a Republican. But 
Connor Lamb campaigned for universal health care against the Trump tax cuts for expanded background checks, for stronger unions, which I think was probably one of the biggest reasons that he won, against cuts to Social Security. Even He's pers- Paul, personally pro-life, but says he would not, he would you know, not, would not interfere with, interfere with, with Roe, v. Sa- Roe v. So essentially pro-life. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, pro-choice. Right, right. Uh, he's for medical marijuana, which right. I think is a pretty low bar to get over these right. days. But 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 he's for medical marijuana. So, but I still do think that at, at the core of it, he's a fairly conservative Democrat. Right. Um, but the idea that, that Republicans are like, oh, yeah, of course he won. He's practically Republican. I'm not sure that I buy that argument. I don't think I buy that either. I think as for all the reasons you just rattled off, he's not somebody who is a, you know, pro-life, uh, hardcore NRA, A-plus NRA rating right. um, Democrat who's running here. He has some centrist issues. But, you know, I think that that's just sort of a centrist Democrat. The yeah. Democratic Party has moved to the left. And now what we see is sort of, you know, just a moderate is is really is actually not all that moderate anymore um, because because these two parties have moved so far away from each other at this point. What was the turnout looking like in Pennsylvania? Because that's that's really what it all comes down to for a lot of these midterm races that we're going to see coming up later this year for Democrats. They know it, it really all does come down to turnout. So it was it was higher. And I didn't actually I don't have this off the top of my head of what the comparison was to sure. previous midterm elections, but it was definitely higher. And uh, and certainly the gap in the enthusiasm gap in Allegheny County is really key. That's really what put Connor Lamb over the edge is he was able to turn out people and flip voters in Allegheny County, which is sort of the bluest part of the district. It's the most suburban. Um, But Rick Saccone, because this was so close, was because Rick Saccone was able to turn Republicans out in rural parts Mm. of the district. And, um, you know, I I talked to a lot of Republicans over that final weekend and they were very stressed about, you know, maybe Lamb actually could run away with with this, how damaging is it going to be if it's a couple points? And, you know, granted, there's a certain amount of narrative setting that you're getting from sources. But I will say there was an, there was a bit of an expectation that Lamb might actually do a little bit better than he than he might have. I thought he was going to do better than he did. And, yeah. and even his, you know, even people around him gave me the impression that, you know, they felt really good about it. So I think... What is what is striking is that Saccone was able to get some of those Trump voters out. And I think yeah. that final Trump visit was, you know, was meaningful. I want to play a couple of clips from Connor Lamb, uh, Ray, that very first one where he says that this was not this election was not about Donald Trump. Uh, here's Connor Lamb. Most of the people that I've met uh, on the actual street, actual voters, don't really want to talk about the president one way or another in this campaign. They want their own representative. I'm not sure that that's the case for every district, and I'm also not sure that I believe him 100%. I think that I know a lot of Trump voters, uh, and even they want to talk about just... <laughs> the president? The president, one way or another, right? Yeah. Like it's I, I've said this before, right, and, and, and I'm really not being partisan about it, but like whether you're a Republican or you love Trump or you're a Democrat and you can't stand what Trump is doing... You have to admit that, like, it's generating an absurd amount of news. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of stuff to talk about. And, like, he's taking our country in a direction that we are not accustomed to seeing. Again, whether you love him or hate him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's worth talking about. So I don't know if I agree with Connor Lamb necessarily. But he did have in his second clip, he talked about um, sort of getting out there and talking to people in Pennsylvania. What I wanted to do from the beginning was just get out there and talk to people, house by house, uh, meeting by meeting. 
I listened to what people had to say, what they thought the most important issues were, and we just kept talking about it. So we had a clip yesterday of Connor Lamb saying if he goes to Washington, mm -hmm. he'll work with anybody. Right. Which I think is probably the right message for his district. Yeah, absolutely. But that not, that might not necessarily be the winning message like across the country. But it worked for him, right? I mean, look, I I think I don't know if I necessarily totally agree with you that everyone wants to talk about Trump. I mean, it was it was striking to see like there are there were plenty of Democrats and there were plenty of Republicans I interviewed on the ground who said I am here because I hate Trump or I love Trump. Yeah. And but at the same time, there were also people who were very who seemed very stressed out, who just sort of were like, I'm tired of talking about that. Nothing's going on. I'm tired of people making this a game. I really just want people to care about my pension or whatever yeah. it was. So I think that there is maybe it's again, maybe we're sort of living in this dichotomy world where like you either like really want to talk about, about them because you're really activated by them. And they may be the and often are the loudest voices. But I do think. And God forbid, I don't want to call it a silent majority, but there's there is certainly people who I think are are hungry for. And I, I wouldn't say that people who are activated by Trump either way wouldn't also agree with this, that there is there is a hunger for things to get done. And that may just be more of a frustration with Congress generally. Yeah. I agree um, with that. I totally agree with that. I, yeah. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, and I think that, like, even the people that are frustrated and bothered by what they're saying out of the White House. Mm hmm. I think the Democrats can combat that not by saying, look at what a bad mess they are, but mm -hmm. like, here's what we can do to make it better. Right. And I think that resonates. Which, which they have struggled to do. Yeah, they have. And that is then the big question is, you know, as a House reporter, I mean, I am constantly looking for people who are actually running on a message. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and, and, and I think that there is an argument to be made that every candidate needs to sort of figure out, tailor make their message to their district. Yeah. And that is what Connor Lamb was able to do really effectively. You know, he came out in support of terror which is not something that, you know, somebody who's in, you know, suburban New Jersey is going, you know, is necessarily going to support, you know, who supports a whole lot of financial, you know, bankers who live there or something like that. So it, it I think finding things that that people in your own district care about is going to be an essential next step for the Democrats. They can't just simply run on either saying, like, I'm going to work with Trump because I'm in a red district or I'm going to fight against Trump because I'm running a district that Hillary Clinton won. There has to be a next step. So uh, I want to I focus on how this became sort of a national race, right? Because <laughs> Connor Lamb said he would not vote for Nancy Pelosi for leadership if he was elected. Right. Uh, how did that play in, in Pennsylvania, district? in his district? So, because, I mean, it's, it's so funny, right? Because you see all these – this is what happened in Georgia, too, with mm -hmm. John Ossoff, right? They tried to turn it into a national race. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Nancy Pelosi is the boogeyman for the Republican candidate and Donald Trump is the boogeyman for the, uh, for the Democratic candidate. So, so how, how did that play in Pennsylvania? How is Nancy Pelosi sort of still having an impact on local politics? So it was funny. I, I wrote a story about, um, today about how all kinds of Democrats now running in red districts and not in red district, just Democrats are sure. studying and obsessing about the way that Connor Lamb handled this Pelosi problem, as they called it. You know, it's always the first question that consultants say to clients, how are you going to answer this question in your races? Because everyone knows it's going to come up. And, um, and it's interesting. I had a Democrat who's running somewhere else who had said to me, well, nobody really talks about Nancy Pelosi in my district. I was like, well, just wait until CLF, NRCC, America First, every single outside group, yeah. you know, not maybe $10 million in your race, but 
$2 million, that's still going to be a lot of money that's going to generate, saying, painting you with the Nancy Pelosi brush. All this is to say they were starting to air those ads mm. in Pennsylvania, and it was in early January then that uh, that he decided to come out and say, I do not, I'm not going to support her. You know, calling for new leadership in both parties is sort of the code word yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it, you know, ran on the front page of the paper. And I don't know if it necessarily broke through then, but I think what was striking was we saw a un- pretty unprecedented ad from him that, that had him addressing direct to camera saying, um, you're hearing all these, repu- you know, these attack ads saying I support Nancy Pelosi. It's all a big lie. And then he pivots, you know, and then he says, you know, I already said I wouldn't support her on the front page of the paper. It pivots to I care about your problems. Yeah. That was a pretty flawless handling yeah. of that situation. And granted, you know, we haven't looked at, I haven't drilled down into the numbers of of, of you know how how much how many points he put behind that on television, but sure. it was certainly something that got a ton of local you know a ton of coverage and some local coverage. And certainly when I talked to Connor, he said that you know initially he still had heard from people even when he came out in January saying he wouldn't support her. He'd heard from voters like, wait, I'm confused. These ads are saying you are this way, but are you? And that's why he felt like he had to put out that that second ad about it. I think it was smart, and, I, and I'm one of those people that, like, I don't think Nancy Pelosi has been given enough credit for what she got done. I mean, we, we talk about Obamacare all the time. It really should be called Pelosi Care. Like, <laughs> she's the one that got it done. Yeah. Um, all that being said, I could use a little, some new leadership in the Democratic Party. I don't feel like Nancy Pelosi has to stick around. So I think it was good. I, I think, and, and, and that's okay, right? Like, not everybody agrees with that, but that's okay. And I think it's striking, too, is that there isn't, there's been no retribution on the part of national Democrats against, yeah. against candidates who decide to do this. I mean, Connell, you know, the D-trip sort of quietly, um, you know, waved the flag the day before the election being like, hey, look, we helped in this race in Pennsylvania. We didn't tell anyone, <laughs> which fair was the right move for them sure. to make. Um, but clearly they supported him. Paul Davis, who's a Democrat running in Kansas, an open, very, you know, pretty red seat. Um, he's a centrist Democrat. He came out, hit the literally the first words out of his mouth after I'm running for Congress was, I'm not support, supporting Nancy Pelosi. He's on red to blue which is their top tier races, you know, mo- you know, candidates they seem the most promising and the, who are going to get fundraising and and uh, operational support from national democrats. There are other examples. So I, I I think it's clearly Pelosi knows that to retake the house, people are going to have to get creative about how yeah. they handle her. Yeah. And she's a smart enough woman to know that, you know, it's not going to it's not going to offend her presumably that these ca- democrats are going to choose to do it because what she cares most about is changing is flipping the house. Um, on the other side of things, mm-hmm. Donald Trump came to Pennsylvania and gave a <laughs> rally of sorts. I think Bill was saying he talked for like over an hour before mm-hmm. he even mentioned the name Rick Saccone. No, he came out. He did come out in the first, you know, the first thing he said was talk about Rick Saccone. Okay. Then he went on like a 60 minute soliloquy that was like a classic Trump for president Presentation. This was a Trump campaign rally. Totally. T- yes. Well, it was actually a, just a Trump, technically a Trump for, you know, Trump for 2020 campaign rally. It wasn't a Rick Saccone rally. Yeah. Um, but then at the end, again, he brought, you know, nobody knew how he was going to handle this Rick Saccone thing. Nobody knew how much he was going to say. The Saccone people didn't know how much he was going to say. And he actually Which brought Saccone back out on stage. Way, that seems a little dangerous. Like, if you're a candidate and you have a guy like Donald Trump, again, love him or hate him, he's an unpredictable guy. I mean, don't you remember Luther Strange when he mm-hmm. was like, oh, you know, vote for Luther Strange, but, you know, if Luther doesn't get it, well, you, probably the other guy's okay, too, or something yeah. to that effect. Yeah. 
Yes, and also, <laughs> that was the rally where he started the fight with the NFL. That's right. By calling the players sons of bitches. And then the, the Rick Saccone, he called Chuck Todd a sleeping son of a bitch. But do you think that that hurt Republican turnout in those races? Because I don't know if it did. You know, I, I don't know if it hurt Republican turnout, but I don't know that it energized them necessarily about Rick Saccone. I, I just think it's... I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth on this stuff, Elaine. I really do, because, like, obviously I think it's news that the President of the United States called Chuck Todd a sleeping son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of like, what does it mean? Like, what does it matter? Like, he's just, he just sh- shooting his mouth off. I mean, it's... I it's, don't know. Yeah, it's it's classic... It's classic Trump. It is classic Trump. Well, here's, here's, what, I, here's what I want to get at it with, with Trump, essentially. Uh, he went and he campaigned for Luther Strange. Mm-hmm. He lost. He went and he campaigned for Roy Moore, and Roy Moore lost. Mm-hmm. He's now campaigned for Rick Saccone. It looks like Rick Saccone has lost. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the power of a Donald Trump endorsement these days? Uh, it's a great question. And I certainly don't think that there are House members who are clamoring to have Donald Trump show up in their districts uh, over the next couple of months to stump for them. Yeah, I saw a one House member in particular, I forget who it was, um, who said, yeah, I don't anticipate I'll be asking Donald Trump to come campaign for me. Yeah. I mean, in it for, for some, it makes sense. Others, they would love to have him come. So, yeah. And by the way, I'm old enough to remember when House members were telling Barack Obama, oh, no, 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 we don't want you to campaign <laughs> for us. You only have a 49% approval rating. Right. Right. And, and, like, that was the outrage du jour. <laughs> Look at how these candidates are running for Barack Obama because he has a 49% approval rating. Everything like, looks a little different post-Trump, right? It does. Remember it when does. we cared that Obama was wearing a tan suit? Yeah. I mean, it's a cliche I, now, I still care about that. I, it, I'm fair, still upset care. about that. To be fair, we should care about that. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. We should still care about that. Um. Okay, so, I mean... When will this be resolved? When will we have this? Like, if they do have this recount, do we have an idea of how long that's going to take? Or when it's we're gonna probably going to take a couple of weeks. It'll I mean, take a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, if it's a full recount, that that stuff is uh, is classically bureaucratic. Sure. Um, and it's going to take. So time. we're not going to pick his name out of a bowl like we did in we're, Virginia. We're probably. I I don't think we're going to pick his name out okay. of a bowl, but it it will take some time. Um, and I and I, you know, it's it's this is the irony of this whole situation, right? We were there was millions of dollars spent on a district that now basically doesn't exist. It doesn't anymore. exist. And and every time that politicians get angry at the media for you know trying to drive a narrative, it's like you're, that's exactly what all of this was. Yeah. Um. And so that's that's, that's still a little uh, mind blowing. But final question I, I would ask you: uh, How? Does this sort of feed other Democrats running in the midterms? Is this like, obviously, this I would feel like this would be a real point of hope for them. Oh, absolutely. Um, but what does that mean for the overall sense of where we're headed for the midterms? Well, I mean, the the adage is always special elections are special. And I agree. I don't think that this is necessarily means that every Trump plus 20 district is suddenly going to go down in 2018. Yeah. But... I, the moment, you know, right around, you know, 1 a.m. once once Connor Lamb was basically, you know, came out and declared victory for himself. And then the preceding morning, I got so many fundraising emails from Democrats saying, look what happened in Pennsylvania. Help us do it, you know, here in, you know, X, Y and Z uh, district. So 
money and momentum. Those are the two things that are going to come out of this for Democrats. And that is important. Money and momentum matters a lot in a midterm election when you're trying to activate constituencies who maybe don't, you know, who don't get get excited in midterm years. Um, But Democrats obviously are excited. So this just helps continue to further that along. It gives Democrats to their first special election victory. Um, People always get mad at me because California 34, they did technically win that, but that was already a Democrat district. So this is the first time they've been able to flip a special election. And that is significant. You know, it sort of feels I had someone I had a Democrat compare it to an oven that, you know, at in 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 uh, Georgia or excuse me in Kansas it was maybe at 200 degrees in Georgia it was maybe 250 or in Montana it was 250 in Georgia it was 300 now we're at 400 degrees in yeah. the oven and it's just slowly being ratcheted up and that and that matters to them for for getting people both money and momentum and also potentially pushing out some more last minute retirements Terrific stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Elena Schneider from Politico. You can follow her on Twitter at EC underscore Schneider uh, and read her fine, fine work at Politico.com. I really appreciate you coming in. Of course. That was dynamite. Uh, My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press. We're going to take a very, very quick break. And when we come back, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington's 7th District will be in studio with us. So stay tuned. Lots more to talk about. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Hi, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn. Yes, I am sitting in for Bill Press today because Bill is out talking about his new book, From the Left. Remember, you can get your copy at BillPressShow.com. I wonder if I get a cut of any of the sales for the books that I sell <laughs> I when Bill's not here, right? I, I totally should, right? I think so. Uh, you can go buy your copy at BillPressShow.com for a 40% discount, by the way, only because you are such a good viewer and listener to the show. We appreciate you. Uh, so go do that. However, if you are a member of the NRA, we're going to charge you 20% more. <laughs> like, I love all these these companies that we're giving NRA members Discounts. No, no, it works the other way with us. We're going to charge you more if you remember the NRA. Uh, follow us on Twitter at BP Show. I am lucky enough to be joined by Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington State, the 7th District in Washington State. Congresswoman, thank you for. It is always great to be here. Thank you for coming in with the, with the, with the JV team today <laughs> while Bill is out. You're stuck I think with I've me. I've been with the JV team and it's pretty darn good. You have been with the JV team, but we're working on it. We're working on it. Uh, I appreciate you coming in. I want to first of all ask you about uh, a story we were just talking about with Elena Schneider from Politico. Looks like, it's not official yet, but it looks like Connor Lamb is going to be the new congressman from Pennsylvania. Um, one of the things we talked about with Elena is how Republicans are now trying to rewrite history a little bit <laughs> and talk about how he's essentially a conservative. Um, is that what you're hearing from your, yeah, your colleagues? Yeah, I was hearing that on the floor a lot uh, last night from some of my colleagues who were, you know, who were trying to say, hey, thanks for electing a Republican for us. And I just started laughing because I guess you got to find some way to take a massive, massive loss, 20 points for Trump district that went for a Democrat that hasn't gone for a Democrat in many cycles, a district where the Republicans poured millions of dollars in, had the president come out, had the vice president come out, had everybody they could imagine come out to to stump for their guy and their guy still lost. And 
Um, so I think, you know, I, I laughed and I said, well, if Republicans want to run against their tax bill, then we'd welcome them sure. into the party. <laughs> you know, if Republicans want to run against cutting Medicare and, and Social Security, then come on in. We've got room for you in the Democratic Party. Well, it's so funny to me because, I mean, I, I do think that a conservative Democrat is probably an appropriate title for Connor Lamb. But at the end of the day, I'm more worried about the second part of that title. He's a Democrat. And he's for universal health care. He is against the tax cuts. He's for expanded background checks. He is big on unions, yeah. which I think really delivers. Which I delivered. think is huge. Yeah. And that's not always a conservative Democrat No, platform. it's not. You're absolutely right. You know? And I think if you want to point to one reason why he won, I it's think because it's because of that. The union No, turnout. exactly. My, my husband actually grew up in that district. Oh, he's, interesting. He's from that area. Okay. Worked in that area. Grew up there. Knows it very well. And was talking about the fact that, you know, the, the, the fact that Connor Lamb embraced unions and unions embraced him. One part of that equation is not always true sure. for a lot of conservative Democrats. And, and uh, I, I think that was huge. And he was absolutely uh, pro-union, pro-collective bargaining, pro-worker. And so that's how the economic message, that and the fact that the tax cuts delivered for the wealthiest – and um, would lead to a cut in Social Security and Medicare. You know, the majority of the the voters in that district are elders. And mm-hmm. so he really cottoned on to that. I think he talked about the fears around cutting Medicare, Social Security, and so much so that they had the Republicans had been running tax ads in that district in a couple of weeks before the election. They pulled them because they were not effective. Yeah. So and they you know, and they tried to tarnish him with he's not gonna vote for Nancy Pelosi. Whatever. I mean it, you know, I, I think right. I think actually I mean, obviously, his stances on certain things are are more conservative, but I actually think he's got a pretty good democratic platform on on a, a, a I would say probably two thirds of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we've had this conversation before about Democrats who are personally pro life, and Connor Lamb yeah. is personally pro life, yeah. but. You can't just stop there. That's right. He goes on to clarify and make very clear that he is absolutely for a woman's right to choose. And that's all we're asking for. Exactly. You know, that's really all we're asking for because I've said this in the past. I mean, the Democratic Party is a big tent, but the right sure. to choose, I mean, the the yeah, the right to make choices about your own body is a constitutional right. I mean, yes. it's a moral issue for me, obviously, but it's it's also a constitutional right. And we're looking for candidates who can have different opinions about what they themselves personally believe, but are they going to uphold the Constitution? Are they going to support the fact that women really should have this agency? And I think he does. So so uh, just to back up for a second, on the union stuff, because when people hear, I think what a lot of progressives, which you are a dyed-in-the-wool progressive, <laughs> yes, and we love you for it. So. <laughs> I love it. Uh, when people hear conservative Democrat, I think a lot of progressives sort of they get a little antsy because that could mean a lot of different things. But I think that it's okay to be a conservative Democrat if you can go into your district and you can sort of point to what you can do to make their lives better, right? And unions is one of those things. I'm reminded years ago, Elizabeth Warren made the best case for this I've ever heard. And she said, look, you want to go out and you want to make a ton of money? God love you. To quote Joe Biden, yeah. <laughs> God bless you. Go out and go make a ton of money. But you've got to recognize that if you created this product that made you a millionaire, we paid for the roads for your yeah. product to be delivered right. on. We yeah. paid for a, uh, a police force that made sure that marauding bands didn't come and take your yeah. product from you. We 
collectively made sure that you got to this place. And I think that that's a strong message that Democrats running in redder areas have got to carry. I think that's right. The other thing that and we just did a poll, we'll be releasing the results publicly next week, but Mm. I'll give you a little sneak preview. We did a poll in the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And one of the things that we looked at was, you know, voters feel like they've been left behind. I mean, that's really part of the big reason why Donald Trump won is part of the reason Bernie Sanders was popular. And they want to see people who are taking bold steps to really standing up for them, rewriting the economy and taking on corporations. And so one of the big arguments, pro-union arguments that I make a lot that people really resonate with is, look, it's great that there are corporations, but you do need a check on those corporations and workers organizing together. And you don't always have to call it collective bargaining because not everybody understands what that is. Sure. But workers coming together and being able to speak for themselves and talk about their own priorities is better than having a boss say to you, I'm going to give you these three things because I think these are the things you want the most versus workers saying, hey, these are the three things that matter the most to us and we want you to give them to us. And so that works a lot. But the other thing I'll say is this conservative Democrat, I, I don't know about all the labels. I'm a proud progressive, as you just said. But I don't think that the ideas that I fight for are progressive ideas. <laughs> I think Amen. they are Amen. working families' ideas. And and so our poll tested this. We, we looked at swing districts across the country. And what we found is that swing voters and progressive voters in swing districts, not in a blue district like mine, in swing districts, actually want the same thing. And they respond really well to many of the messages that Connor Lamb used. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, they actually respond incredibly well to Medicare for all, universal health care, public option, yes. all of those things. Yes. They respond very well to taking on corporations, taking on Wall Street, um, and, and you know, rewriting the rules of the economy. I mean, these are things that Connor Lamb said. Connor Lamb, by the way, did not take corporate PAC money. Oh. Did not take corporate PAC money, raised over $4 million, ran ads on the fact that he didn't take corporate PAC money. So, I mean, these are, (laughs) I think it's it's very funny when Republicans say, you know, try to spin this as you elected a Republican. Because if you look at his platform, he's he's actually, I think in many ways, he's a progressive. In in some ways, he's conservative. I mean, his stance on, on, uh, on, you know, he, he is pro-life, as you said personally, but he supports a woman's right to choose. That's a that's a progressive position in sure. my mind, I but can, it's also I, a I mainstream position. Right? I can totally live yeah, with that. Exactly. I can totally live with that. That's, right. that's not a problem for me. And, you know, look, there, there was a period of time uh, where, you know, a lot of pieces were being written and books being written about how Democrats have got to just give up on certain redder districts, right? And it's just like, no. No, it's so wrong. It's It's so so wrong. wrong. I was thinking about that because we didn't even field a candidate in that district for a couple of cycles. So naturally people went away to the Republican Party because who are they supposed to vote for? I remember earlier last year we were doing a whole series of town halls in Republican districts where the Republicans would refuse to do town halls. And so Mm. I went into my neighboring district and uh, (laughs) did not make me very popular. But um, (laughs) but, you know, that I think that is really important. Like the the Democratic Party needs to be everywhere that there are Democrats, which 
guess what, is the majority of states. And there's very few states where there aren't any Democrats right. at all. Right. So, you know, we need to be there firing people up and letting people have an alternate vision for the future. Yeah. Take that message. Sell that message. I think that a lot of the things that people want to hear are the Democrats' language. They just, a lot of them forgot how to speak it. That's right. And, they and and you know, sometimes... I think the Democratic Party is, um, and I say this lovingly because I am doing everything I can to win back the majority in November for the Democrats. Totally. Um, But sometimes we're just too cautious. We're not willing to take on the corporations and Wall Street because we're afraid of the money that goes, you know, to our campaigns. I don't take any corporate back money, so I'm not worried about it. But I think that that happens. And and, uh, I think that sometimes people are like, oh, well... You know, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to try and get the Republicans. Well, the reality is in, in the majority of districts, there's 30 percent of people you're never going to get. Yeah. So don't try to get them. Instead, energize your base and speak to the people who are in the middle, who have who want common sense solutions and are looking for you to speak to their interests. We won't spend much time on this because I, I mentioned it earlier in the show. But yesterday, the largest rollback of banking regulation since the financial crisis went through and... 17 Democrats voted for this. Elizabeth Warren, rightfully so, was livid. Yes, and and she has a right to be because, look, these are this is not a hard this should not be a hard issue for us. Um, There are some corrections that need to be made for credit unions and smaller banks. But but this was not this was not that. Um, And so. And and I don't understand why, again, we're sometimes afraid, some Democrats are afraid, to lean into the idea that we got to regulate Wall Street, that yeah. we, we got to check Wall Street, that we have to stand up for Main Street, that, you know, we can't give unlimited power to these banks. We do need to regulate them. Um, let's not forget Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he was president. I mean, he went out after these banks. That's right. And he went out after them. In a big, big way. Um, so you you can do this and still be a that's right. St- still be and a popular and, politician. And if all you care about is the is the polling and the votes, this is an off the charts popular issue. Yeah, in swing districts with swing voters with independent voters, it helps people win if they take on the banks. Um, but of course, it is the right thing to yeah. do. That yeah. little thing. that too, that too. <laughs> uh, I want to talk to you about how uh, yesterday I, I tried to watch a ton of cable news because it's just. It's a lot. Yeah. But yesterday I, I tuned in and I couldn't take my eyes off of it because they were talking about all of the different walkouts around the country. And it was just so nice to see. Um, I have a 13-year-old. He walked out yesterday yeah, as right. well. Training him well. I know. I was so happy. I didn't push him. I was just like, you no. know, you figured yeah. out what you want to do. Yeah. And, and he said, you know, I think my friends and I, were going we're going to walk out. So they did. I'm uh, very proud of him for doing it. But... It brings us to this point where um, it's now been a month since the Parkland shooting. It's been a little over five years since Sandy Hook. We have seen multiple mass shootings uh, since then, and there has been no real meaningful gun reform. I mean, even after Las Vegas, which happened in October, everybody agreed we got to get rid of bump stocks. Bump stocks are still alive and well. And gosh, that's depressing. It is depressing. I mean, it's it's both right now because 
you know, I we walked out of the Capitol yesterday in solidarity with the students, and there were thousands of them all over, and they were just so beautiful. I had tears in my eyes. I was walking by and talking to it a was bunch awesome. of them. It was amazing. I and can't then, imagine what it was like to be there. Oh, it was just so cool. fabulous. And then my staff in Seattle fanned out, and they went to because all of the schools in Seattle were doing walkouts as well, and so they were at all these different. So I was seeing pictures coming in from my district I as love well. It. Um, across the country, you know, and actually across the world. Yeah. And, and I think that this is, um, you know, it, it's just remarkable. These Parkland students have really taken the issue to a different level, and they've made it a national issue uh, about kids' lives. I mean, yeah. there was a powerful speaker yesterday. He ended up on cable news. I don't know his name, but one of the Parkland kids who spoke at the rally, and he said, you know, you're right to carry our, uh, carry assault rifles does not outweigh our, our right to live. And, I mean, yeah. this, is, this is about life and death, literally about life and death. And these kids, to have gone through the tragedy that they went through, and then to take that anger and that frustration and sadness and grief and everything and turn it into this kind of action is, um, is just amazing. And so... And and then on the depressing side, you know, the fact that the Republicans have done nothing, I mean, absolutely Not nothing on this. And let's just be really clear about that, because that bill that they pushed through yesterday is great to give grants to schools for school safety, but that does not address the issue of the guns. And yeah. these kids are smart. They called that out yesterday. I mean, they said don't. And I've heard them before. They came to talk to caucus. A couple of them came to talk to our caucus. And, you know, one of them said, don't hide behind things like mental illness. The only thing that is common in all of these incidents is the gun. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. so I think that, you know, whether... They are, I mean, they're fighting the NRA. Let's just be clear about that. They're fighting the NRA. And whether or not the Republicans will actually stand up for kids' futures over the campaign contributions and the political lobby of the NRA. It really is that I, simple. It's that simple. It really is that simple. Is That's that a great simple. way to put it. Yeah. You know, there was a moment during the uh, CNN town hall that they had shortly after the shooting that really just sort of flipped my mind around on this whole thing. And one of the students that was there, uh, Cameron Caskey was his name, he, he stood toe-to-toe with Marco Rubio and looked him in the eye yep. and said, will you vow that you will not take any more money from the NRA? And Rubio would not answer it. He wouldn't it. answer it. And he kept pushing him. The student yep. kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and would not take no for an answer and would not take his double speak for an answer. Yep. And it was sort of a moment for me where I it, it sort of I realized, like, we're at a moment now where these kids, they don't look to these politicians as, you know, uh, untouchable or exalted or rock no. stars. Like, no. They, you, <laughs> yeah. work for us. Yes. And you know what? you got to be held accountable. I say that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, don't be afraid of coming to talk to me because guess what? I work for you. Yeah. Don't worry about coming to my office. You know, come to my office because it's actually your office. It's paid for by the taxpayers. And I, I think that that's really important. But I think the other thing that I'm really impressed with with these kids is um, they are now also making a bunch of connections. They're making the connections between what people say and what they do 
and how people vote. You know, I mean, they are pulling voting into this in a big way. They're doing voter registration drives along with their walkouts. They are saying in their speeches, if you listen to this kid, he, you know, they're saying in these speeches, if you don't do this, we are going to vote you out. And but they're taking the action to make sure kids are registered, which is really important with young people. It's an issue that's fired up the voting desire within these young people. But here's the other connection, Um, you know. One of the the Parkland kids are amazing, but there have been kids, black and brown kids, who have stood up against gun violence before. Sure. And that has not percolated to the top in the same way. And um, and so I've been cognizant of that. There are folks in communities of color that have been cognizant of that. And when I listened to the speeches yesterday, I found that all these kids are making the connection to communities of color and between mass shootings and shootings in communities across the country, particularly in black and brown communities across the country. And I was really struck by that, really moved by that, that they're starting to make those connections very quickly. You know, this is not about just their school anymore. It's not just about mass shootings. It is now about gun violence as a much bigger issue that affects a lot of communities of color across the country. So I'm I'm inspired by them. And uh, I think, you know, I think this is our future. Like they are they are leading us and they are demanding change. And I I don't know what happens if Republicans continue. I mean, even Donald Trump, he has a meeting with the NRA and all of a sudden he backs off of his, you know, bold statements that he made. (laughs) we, uh, We were talking after that big meeting that Donald Trump had where he came out and said some things that I haven't heard even the most uh progressive politicians I, I say gotta say I got control and yeah. like look it, it it really is telling though that as soon as he did it just about everybody goes he's not gonna stick yeah. to that right he's not gonna stick to that. and lo and behold he's he not. didn't yeah and I tweeted right after the story came out that he's backed way off I I just tweeted a bunch of dollar signs and, <laughs> you know and I just said I guess money wins over you know money from the NRA wins over kids lives yeah yeah, we should mention, by the way, you are tweeting at Rep Jayapal on Twitter. Uh, make sure you're following her there to get uh, those tweets. Uh, we love we love Thank those. Uh, gosh, it feels like it was a year ago since Donald Trump fired Rex Tillerson, but is, <laughs> that actually just happened this week. That like, happened just this like two week. days ago. I know. Like, ah, I, know. That's, that's, that's so I tweeted about ago. that too. I said Donald Trump doesn't know how to govern without chaos. I right. Mean, this is... Well, so I want to ask you about that. We've only got about three or four minutes left, but I just want to kick this around for the remainder of the time that you're here. The, the, the general chaos in the White House. And, like, I, I understand and I can appreciate that the working in the White House is and probably should be a fairly high stress job in terms of, like, you got a lot of pressure on you working in the White House. But the chaos of turnover, staff turnover and confusion and miscommunication, at what point does that just become not able to work? I mean, he uses some of it to his advantage. Sure. You know, he's able to change the story from guns to Tillerson, from Stormy Daniels to, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever it is he wants to change the situation from, the story from. He's got that. He runs the White House like a reality TV show. Yeah, I mean, people he really find does. out that they're fired, you know, when they're when they're speaking at a press conference and and it comes up on the television screen. 
Um, I mean, it's incredibly disrespectful, whether you like Tillerson or not, you know, whether you like any of these guys or not. It's incredibly disrespectful. But much worse than that, it's damaging to our reputation around the world. I mean, people have no idea and have essentially written the United States out as a as a reliable, strategic, thoughtful partner. That's not what we are anymore. We're a wild card. And people have used that word when I'm traveling overseas. They've said, you know, the administration is, it's just a wild card. We have no idea. Now, sometimes maybe he gets certain things that nobody else would get because he's so unconventional. But then he goes into a situation like North Korea you know, where he's undermined Rex Tillerson on every level. Oh, yeah. Um, accepted that North Korea meeting without talking to his secretary of state. Uh, yeah. Um, in fact, to anybody. Yeah. yeah. In fact, dismissed Tillerson when Tillerson said they were looking for a diplomatic solution. He said, don't waste your time with little rocket man. Yeah. Tweeted that yeah. at his secretary of Not state. Not that long ago. So I think that, um, you know, it's it's very dangerous for us as a country, particularly as he goes into some of these high stakes meetings. And I'm not, I mean, I I wasn't thrilled with Tillerson, (laughs) but on some things, Tillerson, I mean, Tillerson pushed him around the Iran nuclear deal to stay in the Iran deal. He, you know, he was looking for a diplomatic solution in North Korea. He was not a good manager and he wasn't a good manager of Trump. And he also wasn't a good manager of State State Department from people I've talked to. And now we've got Pompeo coming in who essentially condones and doesn't think waterboarding is a uh, is a form of torture. So there no. there are big issues with his replacement too, but I think the biggest thing is Donald Trump is uh only can operate in chaos and it's dangerous. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And 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 like I I I love my Democratic friends who say, "Oh, he can't do this for much longer. He's got to be." No, I think this is where he no, lives. No, I think this I think he's he very comfortable in this environment. He's and like I said, I don't think we should just say it's good for us. I mean, no. I think he uses these situations to his advantage many much of the time, and I think it reinforces his reputation with the people who voted for him, that he's unconventional, that he, you know, doesn't stand by what parties have always done, that he that he's an independent thinker. Um, I mean, I think those are all true. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from the great state of Washington, the 7th District. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm such a big fan of yours. Thank and you, I'm Peter. so flattered Thank you would you. do the show with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for watching the show, everybody. Make sure you go get the podcast. This is the Bill Press Show. 